You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Ever since we sat down last, the big thing has been Jerry Reinsdorf refusing to answer questions the other day. And we touched on it in the show because as we were recording, it had been reported that he was asked, did he have any comments the other day while he was on the field talking with Bill Cower with Kenny Williams? And he just replied back, no, and walked away with his stogie. Originally, I just went by who tweeted it out. Turns out it was right. Paul Sullivan is the guy that asked the question. The question I have, though, after multiple articles that got sent out across the Internet, and I I don't know if they print newspapers anymore, but maybe it was in print someplace. Well, they do, but then they scan it and upload it to the Internet. (laughs) Exactly. But all of these things come out, all of these articles come out, they're all talking about this one exchange, which was very brief from what you can tell, because all that happened was, Mr. Reinsdorf, would you care to comment on the current state of your team or whatever was said? Honestly, I think I saw the video is Mr. Reinsdorf got a minute. No. Why isn't there a follow-up to that? Are they all afraid that they're not going to get into the buffet? Like, why isn't after he says no, a question along the lines of, Mr. Reinsdorf, the fans have an awful lot of questions about this team. They don't normally get to hear from you. Is there an opportunity either later today or in the future where we can sit down and talk with you? Why not a second question? Why not press him? And the only thing I can think of is they all want to get access to the buffet. They all want to make it into the ballpark. They can write the article and they can damn him from whatever seat they have outside of the ballpark or in the press box when they upload the thing, but they won't go with the second question because they don't want to make the emperor angry. And, and, and you know, I'm going to tell you something. I wasn't trained that way at the University of Illinois where I got my broadcast journalism degree. I was not trained to let up after one question. I I was trained to keep going, and we were trained to stick up for each other as journalists if somebody was a bully. If he bans one person, all of them stop covering the team and make us think about it, right? Like, that's what should happen. But it feels like, and you hear it in questioning too, like you see Scott Merkin, we've talked about this last couple of weeks, man. He's got Rick Hahn on the ropes with his questions. Rick is ducking and diving and dodging like it's dodgeball. And he's just trying to get out of the way of the wrench. And and Merck is asking the question. He tries to poo-poo it, and he follows up immediately. The problem is the guy right after Merck asks something innocuous that has nothing to do with what Merck was doing and gets to change the subject with a softball question. Do they just not work together? You don't let up. You try and do everything you can to get the story. And if you and I are standing there questioning – you might have something you're trying to get out, but if it's something that I can pick up on, if it's something that I can help support, if it's a thread that becomes more interesting than what I was thinking, you pick up on it and you run with it, right? And you, you're right, you do support each other. And I, I, I don't know if it's something where they're not trying to support each other. I don't know if it's something where you have one person who is there who is going to softball because they think they're the ones that are going to get in the door and they're going to break through this this brick wall that the White Sox have erected around everybody who's basically not Rick Hahn at this point, right? Like you said, Kenny Williams comes out 
we talked about this a couple of shows over a course of a couple of shows, but Kenny Williams tends to come out when things are going good or when there's a something major, some major event, right, where he, he can sound off on it. Jerry clearly has no interest in talking to the media. And so, and we don't get the much from the players either. I occasionally get something from the players. I mean, Yasmani Grandal got to poo-poo the idea that he had slapped Tim Anderson, but th- there's there's mostly, it seems, this this goal not of finding out what's going on because you're never going to get the right story from the White Sox, but trying to get access and show that you're the one that can actually get in the door, that can get behind there, and then maybe find the story and maybe get to Jerry and maybe get that exclusive. It's almost like they've created this golden goose, right? The golden goose of being able to find out what's on Jerry's mind, but it's not really there. I'm still waiting for somebody to ask Tim Anderson about what happened with him and Yasmani Grandal. Unless I missed it, I, I've never seen something that said... I haven't seen anything from Tim Anderson about Ramirez or right. about Grandal. I still haven't seen anything, and I don't understand why that isn't becoming a cry from the press corps of what the heck is going on here. You know, why is it that the that the fan base for the Baltimore Orioles is more vocal defending the play-by-play guy by chanting to free Kevin Brown during a game... Why are they more vocal than, say, the White Sox press corps and sticking up for themselves from time to time? And again, we have some of them on here from time to time. And I have said the people that we bring on this show are generally the ones that I hear asking the tough questions. And so I, I'm like, those are the people I want on this show. And, and we've always kind of been that way. And that doesn't mean if somebody hasn't been on here, I've got a problem with them. But I know that I don't let them on if I hear the softball questions. Like, it's just not something I'm, I'm interested in. I am interested in what Tim Anderson has to say. And it feels like I'm still waiting for it or somehow I've missed it in some sort of news dump. And I feel like I'm paying an awful lot of attention. Uh, Cork and Carry at the Park is the proud sponsor of Sox in the Basement. They're at 33rd in Princeton. They're the perfect place for pregame and postgame. Pregame, bring over the whole family. Indoor, outdoor seating, incredible food, incredible selection, great pricing. It is the place to go before you go into the ballpark. Get yourself fed, have yourself a beer or a wine or, you know, something from the spirits. They're all up against the, the back of that big, beautiful bar. See the craft beer selection. It's great. After the game, commiserate. Have these kind of conversations with White Sox fans. It is a friendly place to hang out before and after the game. See more at corkandcarry.com. Another thing that I was taught when I was getting my journalism degree that I didn't really use very much. Once I got in the morning radio, I mean, I wasn't a journalist. I was an entertainer. And then I went and became a 911 dispatcher, dispatch supervisor for 10 years, and none of it mattered. And then we yeah, started. It's kind, of, it's kind of funny. You and I meet as journalism students, and then we become, yeah, no, neither of us become journalists. Didn't really use it, right? And then just started doing this podcast at the bar for fun, and then it turned into what it became, and that's, that's great. And we're very appreciative to everybody that subscribes and downloads to the show. But I, I did have enough journalistic experience when I was down at the University of Illinois where I was sent out to actually cover things. To know that even though I had a question in my head that I wanted to ask at a press conference, if another reporter in the room had their question avoided or poo-pooed, to immediately follow up on their question and not let the guy off the ropes. And I would like to see that a little bit more. I also learned, though, that you can't jump to conclusions too quickly. you got to get sources, and you've got to actually wait and see the reasoning behind something. I believe that Keenan Middleton's name was left off of the scoreboard for exactly why the White Sox said it was. The other night he comes in and he's not showing up on the graphic of where everybody's playing for the Yankees. 
And everybody's like, oh, they did that on purpose. Well, first of all, they did put his picture up at another point when he came into the game. So it wasn't like they were going to act like he didn't exist. And secondly, their explanation was very simply that the scoreboard system draws from the official list of the 40-man roster, and there were two people with the same number. And all you have to do is look at the Yankees' 40-man roster and see there's two number 93s. So it, it makes perfect sense. And we've talked to Dave Marin, who's up in that scoreboard, the Sox nerd, and we've talked about how the new scoreboard system with him has some glitches and some bugs in it. And so I'm not going to bother him with that right now, Ed, because I'd rather him get into the tidbits and the trivia and everything else right here on Sacks in the Basement. The Sacks Nerd brought to you this week by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces. Filled with adventure, visit the Village of Lamont. Shop, dine, drink, explore, and see everything they have going on this weekend and beyond at LamontDowntown.com. Nerd, what's going on? Chris, how are you? Oh, man, I I don't know. It's been a very uneventful last week or so of White Sox baseball. I don't know what else to talk about. They've won a few games. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's the headline. That's it right there. What do you got for us this week? I'm from Milwaukee, and I ought to know. Or is it? I'm from Milwaukee, and I'm a dodo. Whatever it is, Chris, I thought I'd raise a glass to the Sox rivalry with the Brewers and the relationship with the great city of Milwaukee. This because the team that gave us Yount and Molitor will be visiting the rate this weekend. And similar to when the Cubs and Cardinals come to the south side, I'm sure there will be a little more buzz in the place. For that reason, I would love to see the Sox, Brewers, Cubs, and Cardinals in the same division one day. You know, Chris, the Sox once called Milwaukee home. In 1968 and 1969, the Sox played 20 games in the Cream City to boost sagging attendance and possibly see how attractive they would be in Milwaukee. The games, including exhibitions, were well attended, but history tells us it was the Seattle Pilots and not our White Sox who moved to Milwaukee. Actually, you can trace the Sox history with Milwaukee all the way back to the franchise's inaugural season. The Sox played their first road game in Brewtown an 11-3 win over the Brewers on May 3, 1901 at the Lloyd Street Grounds. The 1901 Brewers became the St. Louis Browns in 1902 before morphing into the Baltimore Orioles in 1954. Fast forward to more modern times, the most incredible game the Sox ever played against the Brewers took two days to complete. On May 9, 1984, the Sox finished off a 25-inning win over the Brewers, which started the day prior. A 1 a.m. curfew rule halted the game after 17. The next day, the Sox and Brewers played eight more innings before Harold Baines ended the game with a walk-off homer on pitch number 753. That contest took eight hours and six minutes to complete. With the curfew banished, if the Sox and Brewers play an eight-hour game at any time this weekend, Chris, I'll be knocking on your door looking to sack out on that basement floor of yours. Two great trades highlight the White Sox history with the Brewers, and both trades pushed the Sox to the postseason. In 2000, the Sox sent Jamie Navarro and John Snyder to Milwaukee for Jose Valentin and Cal Eldred. What followed was a surprising division title. Five years later, the Sox sent Carlos Lee to Milwaukee for Scott Pesednik and Luis Vizcaino. The Sox went on to win the World Series. Let's hope the teams make a blockbuster again soon. My zinger? 
When six foot nine Lane Ramsey made his big league debut on Sunday, he became the third tallest player in White Sox history to appear in a game. Only fellow pitchers John Rauch at six eleven and Andy Cisco at six ten are taller. There you have it, Chris. Probably more than you wanted to know about the Brewers, Milwaukee, and the Tall Sox. I think the Brewers and the White Sox not being in the same division is something I still miss, even though it's been decades since that actually was true. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, anytime you have one of those rivalries, especially when it used to get super intense and, just, uh, you know, you'd have so much fun because you'd look forward to it, you'd circle it on there, right? You miss it. And, and, it's, and it doesn't matter how much time has passed. And it doesn't matter that nobody on the Brewers roster would remember it and nobody on the White Sox roster would remember it. You still kind of want to see them come together. It's a little like if you're a hockey fan, when the Blackhawks and Red Wings ended up getting separated, you know, nobody on the current Blackhawks or Red Wings is going to remember how intense that rivalry was, but you still kind of want to see them play each other, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's something I kind of miss. But Major League Baseball over the years, over the decades, it's nothing new. Depending on whatever generation that you're in right now as a baseball fan, they're constantly doing stupid things that kind of ruin the stuff that you love about the game. It's what they do, you know? And, and, and here's the thing. There's also people out there in the business world that just take a good thing and ruin it. I'm looking at people who go out and sell windows door to door, who show up inside of your house, put their feet up on your couch. Maybe some of them do that. I imagine them all doing it. Uh, you know, they they sit in your kitchen. And they tell you, here's this dingy little example window. And uh, imagine it in your house. Uh, trust me, this part that's falling apart here, that's only because it's a sample. You're looking at them with a weird look. And then they're like, here's the deal. If I walk out the door, though, I don't think I can give you a better deal. Or they're like, maybe I'll talk to my boss about it and get back to you when you're trying to haggle a little bit. Forget that. Window and door superstore of Oak Forest. Exterior windows, doors, patio doors, and storm doors with no high pressure sales. And you at their place on site owners on site owners on site during the installation as well full examples of everything you're not looking at a little book to look at a window etching you are looking right at the window etching in front of you at the superstore they use their own installers they've been doing that for the last 40 years they don't farm out the work that way everything fits that's also another reason why they don't use stock items they want a perfect fit and you can get that with all major brands they're a half block east of 159th and Ridgeland at 62 180 159th Street. See more at windowdooroakforest.com. Have you heard the buzz about the reverse boycott yet? Yeah, it, it's. I don't know. Why? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> That's how I felt too. Why? That's how I felt too. Look, here's the thing there's a push. It started on Reddit. I don't even use Reddit. I know there's a whole White Sox uh, group of people who listen that talk to each other on Reddit. And uh, maybe, maybe I need to get involved maybe, in the Reddit. Maybe we should. Right. Maybe, and, maybe we should and, and like, you know, yeah. tell them, hey, have you, have you heard of socks in the basement? I don't know. I, I've never done it before. But there's a group that's on there and they've started to organize the idea of doing what the A's did in Oakland with their terrible ownership, trying to take the A's out of Oakland to Las Vegas or anywhere that they can bring it. And they had this big reverse boycott day where on just one evening, it was a sellout. And they chanted, sell the team for nine innings. And they held banners that were bashing the owner over the side of the, the railings. And it was just a free-for-all. And you know what? It looks cool. I don't know if that's going to work out, though, for White Sox fans. Right? Like, I don't think they're even going to let you in the building with the signs. That's the thing. You walk in with the sign. The sign's getting taken from you in five minutes. They kept them up for the whole game out there in the outfield in Oakland. 
I don't think it's going to play the same way for you. And, and then you're playing the A's, and it's great for helping you organize it, but wait for Jerry Reinsdorf and the White Sox, if they don't just ignore you, to try to spin it as those were people supporting the A's. They're not mad at us. And so that's why I think, I mean, go have fun with it. I'm all for it. We've retweeted that it's happening, but I just don't think it's going to have any impact. Well, and when the A's did it, their, their issue with ownership with the A's is that ownership was tanking, was purposefully not maintaining Oakland Coliseum, was doing all of these things with the intention of moving the A's out of Oakland and not only out of that stadium, but into another state completely, right? So you're taking my team away from me. This is this is harkens back to Jerry threatening to take the team down to Tampa years and years ago. So they want that owner of the Oakland A's to sell the team to somebody who wants to keep the team in Oakland. That's why they're filling it up, showing, no, the fans are here. We do love this team. We want them in Oakland. Sell the team to somebody who's like us. Filling up on a White Sox game and chanting, sell the team, Jerry, isn't going to prove to him anything. Because if you, if you sell out, he's going to be like, see, the fans love us anyway. Doesn't matter We're, what what they the negative media and the podcasters and the and all these these jerks on the internet think. Twitter cesspool. Twitter cesspool. That's what he called the it. The Twitter cesspool. Yes. Rick Hahn mentions Twitter every time he speaks. Like he's not a guy with a burner account who reads everything you say. Like here, exactly. That, the one thing you know for sure is you can make Rick Hahn upset. He's never going to admit it to you, but every time you post something negative about him, he sits there in his office and he grinds his teeth because he's reading it all because he can't stop himself. I actually reposted the other day, Ed. Uh, it was the three-year anniversary, no, four-year anniversary of the corporate podcast doing an event where they put out the whole video, but before they put out the video of the event with Rick Hahn, the only clip they put out was a clip of Rick Hahn ripping people who criticize the team on social media because they couldn't stop themselves from basically poo-pooing the independent podcast and the people that write blogs and the people that actually have a voice that's not influenced because they're not owned by Jerry Reinsdorf, like NBC Sports is owned by Jerry Reinsdorf. So they couldn't wait to go out there. And ever since that day in 2019, in August of 2019, Rick Hahn has been emboldened to continue to act like those voices don't matter. And he just can't stop himself. But trust me, it bothers him. It doesn't bother Jerry, though. Jerry doesn't care what that's, you say. That's the point. That's the point. And, and honestly, Rick Hahn's voice doesn't bother Jerry one bit. If Rick Hahn is upset at White Sox fans, if he's upset at the Twitter cesspool, that, uh, so it, as he calls it, or he's upset at us and the other podcasts, he's upset at, at blogs, whatever. That does not bother Jerry Reinsdorf one single little bit. I don't think any owner in any major sport would care if their general manager is hurt by what people say about them on social media. I've actually seen it. And it's 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 funny because on this network, we have a, a Pittsburgh Pirates podcast. I have a friend of mine that writes about the Pirates out in Pittsburgh. And a couple years back after Socks in the Basement was off the ground, he was like, would you help me launch Bucks in the Basement? We've had Craig Toth on here once or twice whenever the Pirates yeah. are involved with the White Sox. It's kind of fun to do a little crosstalk, right? So in helping him, I have inadvertently learned an awful lot about the Pirates organization. And Bob Nutting is cheap. Like, their payroll's at the bottom every year. But the one thing he does do 
is that if the fans get angry about who the general manager or manager is, he fires them. He really does react to what the fans want. He's never going to spend what Jerry Reinsdorf spends, and he's in a small market and probably isn't as rich as Jerry is, right? He could go higher. I mean, he gets criticized on Bucks in the Basement for not spending enough money, right? But when he sees something going on and people start yelling, uh, you know, sell the team or some kid sneaks into his uh, into his box. Like there was a picture, I think, at the in the offseason or, or at the beginning of this year, maybe the end of last year. Some Pirates fan, some teenager asked for a picture with him. And as soon as they went to go take the picture, he opened up his jersey and it said sell the team while he was standing next to the owner. That's amazing. He, it's amazing. He reacts because he did still go and interact with a fan, right? He actually put himself in a position with an everyday average fan, something that Reinsdorf would never do. He cleaned out the front office and let Ben Charrington take it in another direction. And if Ben Charrington fails, he'll be fired before Rick Hahn gets fired or Kenny Williams. Oh, absolutely. But but you're conflating two different things. My, my point is, is that... Jerry Reinsdorf does not listen to the criticism. He, he doesn't care if Rick Hahn is hurt. He doesn't care if Kenny Williams is hurt. He doesn't care if any of his employees are really hurt, okay? It, it, because he's in that glass case, he's in that ivory tower where he does not make these changes. If he really was worried about fan perception of Rick Hahn, Rick Hahn wouldn't be here. If he was really worried about fan perception of Tony La Russa, Tony La Russa would not have been allowed to step down due to health reasons, right? He, he would have been let go. That's that's the one difference between him and maybe some other owners where Jerry just doesn't have that PR gene with him, okay? But there are very few owners, I think, that really... The only reason why they care about what happens with public perception of their team is if it starts to affect the bottom line. But back to the whole idea of the reverse boycott... You know, if Jerry at this point is going to sit there, and we've seen this over and over again, if the White Sox organization really cared whether or not you were going to show up to games, whether or not you were going to buy tickets, then it wouldn't be because we're mad at Rick Hahn. We would have never been allowed to get mad at Rick Hahn, okay? We would not have been allowed to get to this level of questioning of the White Sox front office competency, an owner that is actually paying attention, and Bob Nutting may be that guy, okay, for the Pirates, an owner that's really paying attention will sit there and say, okay, I'm going to make changes based on whether or not I see a product on the field that I can sell. And you go back to a show we did when this news came out around tax time, where the White Sox, in spite of how much money the, the, the team is worth, the organization is worth, reported losses for the year. And you and I kind of flitted out the thread there that as a business owner, as a guy who owns multiple businesses, that taking a loss on the White Sox was actually helpful to Jerry Reinsdorf's overall bottom line. So does he, is he paying attention when, when you ask, do you have a minute, Chairman Reinsdorf? And he says no. I don't think that minute also includes whether or not Rick Hahn is left out, hung out to dry. Rick Hahn might be the general manager of this team next year, not because Jerry cares that we don't like Rick Hahn, but if he gets fired, if he gets let go, it's only going to be so that there's some reason that they've determined it, it, it fits the bottom line. That gets back to Bill Cower being here and talking about how to run the organization. Something like that, a consultant might sit there and go, look, this is a PR problem. If you do this and this, you probably are going to get some ticket sales back on it. That's what he's going to pay attention to. I don't think, 
I don't think he's going to pay attention to signs. I don't think he's going to pay attention to anything that is said about the guys in the front office. We could sit here and rail against Rick and Kenny and Chris Gatz and whoever. Jerry hasn't heard a word we've said. Socks in the basement listeners do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boots specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't care uh, whether or not you're happy or sad. I think that's very obvious. Uh, Meanwhile, the White Sox are winning baseball games. And this is so White Sox. Of course they are. This is so White Sox. The fight happens, and they go on a run now. They take two out of three from from the Guardians and two out of three from the New York Yankees. Now they're going to get the Brewers over the weekend and they got a Cubs series and they're going to get the they're going to get the lowly Rockies at some point and, and watch them with a weak schedule coming up win more games than they lose and get themselves closer to 500 i mean they could they could realistically finish the season and look at you and say it wasn't that bad if we would have just had a little bit of this happen a little bit of that happen we still believe in this team and you're going to want to take your head and place it inside of an oven a warm scolding hot oven after you listen to them spin that because this is the most White Sox thing you can do. Just start winning games when it doesn't matter anymore and then be like, yeah, we got rid of a couple of pitchers and a few middle uh, middle relievers and we changed the whole culture of the team. So just stick with us next year. It's all going to be better. Like it's coming, man. It's coming. And I don't know. I feel like a bad fan because there's part of me that wants them to lose. Like I want it to be the biggest dumpster fire possible so nobody can hide. Oh, absolutely. But look look at what it's subtle. But Rick Hahn has claimed a few guys off of waivers. Uh Davey Garcia, who was one of the top prospects in the Yankees organization a couple years back. Yes. Hasn't been able to break on through. Um who else did he pick up? Jose Urena, who's who's kind of on the, the back end of his career. Tyler Naquin, Brent Honeywell. I, he's picking these guys up. These guys are hungry to prove that they're still they still belong in the majors. Uh, Tuki Toussaint is a is a good example. He's 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 in that same that same crowd. These are guys that are on the fringes that are trying to prove that they still have some value to a team. They may not be on the White Sox next year, and God knows I kind of hope they aren't because they're not that talented. Obviously, if they're on their you know on multiple organizations and they've been kicked out. But you're picking up guys that have something to prove. So yeah, sometimes that's going to lead you to win games if you've got guys who are sitting there going shoot, I better get off my butt and do something. I got to prove it. There's a reason why we love Jake Berger so much. He's been trying to prove it all year, and he's down in Miami trying to prove it still. And, and you know, that's that's going to be something where you're going to pick up wins, cheap wins against teams that are down, right? And 
and you're right, they could probably scrap together, end up really close to 500, have a really good second half, have a bunch of these guys that that really don't belong on major league rosters or are quad A players at this point, do some things that are out of character for them, and then watch them sit there and go, we're just like one or two guys away. Oh, yeah. And you, you know what you're doing? You grab up your Garcia, your, your Brent Honeywell, your Luis Patino, and all you're doing is grabbing high-end prospects that were on lists a couple years back who fizzled out. And you're trying to convince yourself, well, we're so good at pitching development, we're gonna fix them all. Are you are you kidding me? Like this this is like watching that guy in your fantasy baseball league who just sees a name and goes and grabs him because he can't believe that the guy's on the waiver wire or isn't on a team. And there's a reason for it because it didn't work out with that player. Because not all prospects work out. But this is how Rick Hahn has always run the front office. This is how the White Sox have always run the front office. Go out and grab the guy who's the name. Go out and grab the guy who's on the list. Who cares about internal scouting? We don't actually employ enough scouts to do that. So we just kind of rely on national list and names and draft position and things like that. So that's why guys get one more shot. Nobody leaves the major leagues if they were a high-end prospect or draft choice until the White Sox have had a look at them inside of their organization. Just like if you are an aging veteran who had a really good career who the White Sox always coveted, they will get you when you're 42 years old for the last six months of a season or to give you one last go around in the sun where you retire halfway through your through that season. That's that's the White Sox way, right? That's how we've always been. It doesn't really pay off for us, but we're always going to see them put their efforts towards things like that. Meanwhile, you got Luis Robert hitting foul balls over the roof. You got this spectacular player, and I'm very afraid it's going to be like Mike Trout's years, surrounded by just nothing but garbage while he goes out there and does like unworldly things. Or or it's going to be like Frank Thomas, right? He's going to be here, and he's going to be leading teams that are anywhere from fascinatingly mediocre to frustratingly underperforming. And the one year that everything else gets put together – Robert's going to have like a legitimate injury, not not a pulled oh, hammy. You're not, cursing you know, him. You're he's going to have him. he's going to have the 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 ankle surgery that keeps him out for all but five or six games. Right, and then what will happen is the White Sox, just like what they did with Thomas, will be like, well, you know, I mean, he's at the end of his career. What else could he possibly do? We're going to let him go because he was only here for the first couple of months of that World Series season. And then he'll just go out and continue to hit home runs and prove that they were wrong. We're gonna we're gonna let Frank Thomas go because we think he's done. But here's Ken Griffey Jr. who, in the conversation <laughs> right. with Kenny Williams, says, "By the way, I don't think you realize how done I am." Right, exactly. He was done. They couldn't wait to get him on the team. The guy who was always good for them, they couldn't wait to get rid of it. He was still good. The only good thing about that scenario is if all of that happens, it means we get another World Series. And, and there we go. And and I don't know who's in charge of that. Yeah, whoever it is, Jerry won't care. I wonder if he has a minute. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found. And always on SocksInTheBasement.com.